This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So we are in our, our, our Advent series, which is called Yesterday, Today, and Forever, right? And we've been walking through that in some really, really intentional ways. So as we get ready to, to, to go into that, I want you to put your finger into three different places inside your Bible. Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15. John 1 Verse 14, Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. If you could just go ahead and just hold those places. We're going to visit all those places today and stuff and some other ones, but those are the main, main ones that we're going to, 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 to visit. So I'll give you some time to go ahead and get there. I'm going to leave this up as I just get things set up. So we've been preaching through this Advent series, Jesus, yesterday, today and forever. And week one, we focused on beginning and light. Pastor Aaron was preaching through it, and, and, and he was talking about how light itself existed in the beginning before the sun was even created. Right. This light is Jesus, and Jesus became the light of men that gave them life. And we're looking at Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And then week two, we talked about word and image. How since the beginning, we have been seeing the invisible realities of the word of God take form and image through creation and in our personal lives. And this word of God is Jesus himself. Then last week, we talked about fall and rejection. How since the fall... Religiously, one of the things that we've been thinking that needed to, to happen is, is religion tells us that, that we work really hard to be super, super good and work our way back up to God, hoping that he would receive us and not reject us. But the gospel says something different happened, that God came to us. That he came and he met us where we were at. But the problem is we often don't receive him and reject him. And said he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Today we are closing out this Advent series. And the title is Promise and Fulfillment. And I want to go with the sub theme as we talk about promise and fulfillment, and that theme is a promise about a seed. With that in mind, if you'll stand with me, let's read Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15, and then we're going to jump to John 1 and 14, and that's all we're going to read at this moment. Genesis 3. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring 
He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for embodying your word. We thank you for giving us your word, Lord. We ask that you will plant your word deep into the depths of our heart and that you will cause it to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Talking about promise and fulfillment. And as we're talking about promise and fulfillment, we're looking at it through the theme of a promise about a seed. In Genesis 3, verses 14 through 15, as God is talking to them inside of the the garden, and and, and this is the right after the fall, the wake of the fall, and God is talking to them, and and what you see here is is the beginnings of some things, and, and in the setting, you see this war between the serpent, Satan, and the woman. God describes what it will look like, and he says, between his offspring, the, 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 the serpent's offspring, offspring being the demons and those that follow him. In Ephesians, we was looking at the systems and structures that was formed by these demonic rulers and stuff, and these are the offsprings of the enemy, and he says, in her offspring, we are celebrating God with us, the incarnation, where God would, in, would come into the earth through the form of a child, in the form of a child, through a woman. When he says, her offspring, he's talking about Jesus and all those that would believe in Jesus who are joined together with him. This is the offspring that he's talking about. See, not only does not only does he curse the serpent for orchestrating the very first sin, but at this moment he also gives the very first promise. Talking about promise and fulfillment. You see, anytime God says, I will do something, I will do this, or I will do that, he is giving a promise. I want us to understand the promises of God when we're reading through Scripture, and we want to understand what promises that God has for us any single time that he says, I will do this, and I will do that, I will, I will, key word is will, he is giving a promise. He's saying, this is what I promised to do, and here are the means in which I will exercise it. And he makes a promise to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent, and to all of creation. All of creation is here at this moment while this conversation is going down, and he makes a promise. And in this promise, he says, 
The woman's offspring shall bruise your head. I will cause enmity between you and the woman's offspring and the side effects is her offspring will bruise your head. Satan and all of the demonic structures and forces set up by his offspring shall fall from a death blow to the head. He continues to talk to the enemy and says, you shall bruise his hell. While it's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that delivers this death blow to the head of the enemy, Jesus' death itself is only compared to a bruised hill. Something you'll get over and something you'll continue to, to, to move on from because he conquers death itself, fulfilling promises specifically made about him and directly by him. We're talking about promise and fulfillment. I want you to follow me as we look a little bit at that word offspring that's being used here. You see, offspring all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, one of the words that are used to talk about offspring is seed, that word seed. He tells Abraham, I will multiply your seed. This is your, your offspring. This word seed is used to talk about offspring all the way through the Bible. And offspring isn't just talking about those that are born of the flesh, but also those that are born of the spirit. question is, which one are you born of? Are you born of the offspring of the, the woman or the offspring of the serpent? We're talking about the promise of a seed, a seed. So what I want to do is I want to read through Matthew 13, verses 24 to 32. Jesus is, is talking to the masses, and as he's talking to the masses, he's talking about seeds being sown. And, 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 and he's explaining some things to them. And, and as we're reading this and we're thinking about these seeds, what I'm asking you to, to picture whenever he talks about seeds, I want you to picture the offspring of the woman. Christ and those that follow his spirit or the offspring of the serpent, these demonic forces and those that follow his spirit. Some very important things is said here when you see it through these lens. So let me just read Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. I'm going to read down to 33, and he says, He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said that um, the enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, 
Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and become a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. While Jesus is, is talking to them, he talks about how the fruit of one offspring, and he describes them as the good seed. And the fruit of the other offspring is described as the seeds of weeds sowed amongst the good seed by the enemy. You see, Christ came into this world, the incarnation. He came into this world as the ultimate good seed, the ultimate good seed. And all those that follow him or join to him and covered by his goodness and sown in the earth as good seed. But I want to remind you of the promise and how it will come to pass back in Genesis when we was reading it. Again, he says the woman's offspring, the good seed, and, and, and prophesied what's going to happen. It would be at, at war, enmity with the serpent's offspring. And it's promised that the woman's seed would deliver a death blow to the head of the serpent. And you fast forward and you look at this verse here in Matthew and this promised offspring of the woman is now here. The good seed, sowing good seed. And he's talking about the war with the serpent's offspring, the weeds. This is what's going on here. He's, he's talking to them in parables, and he's talking about the, the, the war of the serpents, between them and the serpent, the, the weeds, and how the serpent and his offspring or seed will be defeated and removed from the earth, cast into the fire. Right. He's talking to them. He's he teaching them. He says how the good seed would remain on the earth and blossom into eternity. How the kingdom of God will reign on earth and, and, and there'll be a planet without sin, a planet without sickness, a planet without pain because heaven and earth will be united and Christ will be on the throne. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm explaining this to you in, in hindsight, but even his disciples were confused when he first explained it to them. So after they got away from the crowds and they, and they got by themselves, they, 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 they came to him and they said, listen, I don't really understand what you were saying here about the seeds and weeds and all this type of stuff. Elaborate for us. Help us to understand what in the world you're talking about. So in verses 37 to 43, he does just that. They ask him to explain it. And I just want to read what he said in verses 37 to 43, as he explains it, he said, he answered them, and he said, starting at 37, he answered, 
The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of this kingdom, offspring. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, offspring. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age when time wraps up and, and, and there's no more sun. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age, at the end of time. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He explains to them and he talks to them about offsprings and seeds. And he's continuing to talk about the fulfillment of the promise. In John 1 and 14, the same word that we've been talking about, it says, the word became flesh. That's what it says in John 1 and 14, the word became flesh. The moment the word became flesh, the promise of the seed was fulfilled. At that very moment, the promise of the seed and every single thing the seed would do is all wrapped up just like a seed. And all the DNA for all the fruits that a tree would, would bear is all inside there. At that moment, it was fulfilled, including the bruising of the head of the serpent. It's all wrapped up in its very birth. And this morning, I want you to understand the nature of the promises of God. Sometimes we can hear this word and, and we can hear his promises and, and we celebrate the promise of God and stuff. But I want you to understand the nature of his promises. Yes. These promises that were declared yesterday, that is alive and well today, and that are leading us into forever. And the first thing I want you to understand about that, those promises is that the promises of God are not like the promises of man. These promises that we're talking about, the promises of God are not like the promises of man. They're not like my promise, no matter how, whatever good intention I have in the midst of it. They're not like, like the promises of your, your spouse, no matter how good they are or your very, very, very bestest friend. It's not like their promises or, or even your mama's promises. It's not like them neither. See, God can speak through man and give you a promise, but the promises of God are in no way to be compared to the promises of man. There is a huge difference. And here's the first one of those differences, and that's the promises of man are spoken from the present void, hoping for a future fulfillment. See, the promises of man come from a place that, that hopes to be fulfilled. 
They're they're projecting into tomorrow, into a place that I'm I'm not at. I'm right here, right now, today, and I'm giving you this promise of what I will do tomorrow, but I'm not in tomorrow. But I'm promising that in tomorrow I'm going to do this, but there is a flaw. Uh I'm talking about a time that has not yet come, and I'm giving a promise about it. That I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be able to live up to the word of my promise. The wishful thinking, relying on his ability to accomplish it. This is the promises of man. They're spoken from a place that he's not yet at. But Matthew 5, 36-37 says, Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything else is just evil. James 4, 13 to 17, he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills, key word, will. Uh Hallelujah. Anything else is boasting and arrogance, and it's evil. See, I want you to remember the promises of God because they're marked in the Bible by him saying, I will do something. I will do this. I will do that. The key word, will. Here was why the promises of man given detached from the promises of God is called evil. Detached from his will is called evil. And I want you to understand why, because the promises of man detached from the will of God are spoken from a place that you are presently not at, but hoping to get to. This is is void of a tangible reality, and it assumes a reality existing that is reserved for only God. Promises of man spoken from a void, hoping to be fulfilled. But you see, the promises of God are spoken from an already fulfilled future reality, projecting back into the void of a not yet fulfilled present reality, giving hope. These is the realities of the promises of God. They're not hoping to get fulfilled. They're spoken from fulfillment. I need you to understand this. The promises of God are not projecting into time and hoping that tomorrow will will hopefully make it there. When God makes a promise, he's not speaking from a present place disconnected from a future reality that he's not already at. He's not speaking from an unfulfilled reality, hoping to one day see the fulfillment. The promises of God are spoken from a place of fulfillment. Hallelujah. Because God is omnipresent. Your future reality is his present reality. So when he gives his promises, they come for him from something that's already occurred or presently there. He's looking right at it. His promises come from a place that he is already at and it's already fulfilled. His present promises of God are an echo of a future reality. That's what he does. 
Hallelujah. He speaks promises in, in the time that are echoing what's already present for him inside the future. The promises are given to the serpent. Was it wishful thinking that, 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 that he would hope would happen? Even as he's sitting there and he's talking with, with all of them, the present reality of tomorrow was present for God because he's outside and bigger than time. And he's barely speaking what is. He doesn't speak from one point of time, wishfully projecting into another point of time. He speaks from outside of time while at the same time permeating all of time. He speaks a fulfilled word that's presently past the end of the age and works itself out throughout history and time. He plants an already fulfilled word into time as a seed. As a matter of fact, it's through this very word that he creates and sustains time itself. We've already identified Jesus himself as the word of God. I want you to understand the promises of God, the, the promise of the seed. This is the reality of where the promises of God are, are coming from. Hallelujah. This is why when Christ goes to the cross and he can die for the sins that every man would ever create. The sins of even those that aren't born yet. Because even while Jesus is there and he's going to the cross, at this particular point in time, his spirit is present at every single point in time and presently seeing the sins of every single man that will be created. And Jesus sits on the cross bearing the weight of the whole as a present reality for him. We're talking to a God about a God that permeates time. And when he gives a promise, it's because he sees the reality fulfilled. And he can say, this is what's going to happen. He's not hoping to make it happen. He's echoing back in the time truth. See, the Bible tells us the history of the whole world. Highlighting the most important things that we need to know about yesterday. So we understand how the word of yesterday forms and informs while continuing to sustain the narrative that we're living in today. The Bible gives us promises and glimpses of future realities. When you hear the promises of God in the Old Testament and promises of God in the New Testament, and then you read a book like Revelations that gives you glimpses of things to come, but these glimpses of things to come that are written down came from a present reality to God. And God is like, write those things down, give them some hope. These are some things that's coming down the pipeline. So that we have hope. See, God gives us foretastes of the promised kingdom to come by fulfilling many little pockets of promises along the way. Every single one is to say, listen, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to fulfill my ultimate promise. And along the way, he's fulfilling little pockets of promises so that you learn to trust in him. 
We celebrate the fulfillment, the fulfilling of the promise in the birth of Jesus, the promised seed. The seed that would deliver a death blow to the head of our enemy. A seed that would reign forever in righteousness and love. And we continue to watch God fulfill ongoing promises as we wait for the ultimate fulfillment in Christ's return. Thy kingdom come. Thus along the way we listen to the testimonies of the saints. The testimonies of promises fulfilled. Because we hear these testimonies and remind us that our God is still fulfilling his promises. It's one thing to just preach about it, but it's another thing to hear what it actually looks like when we walk it out, when we live into it. So I want to transition from preacher mode to listening mode. As I call my friend and brother Daniel Malakowski up to share with us. We've been making, we've been making intentional time during each one of these pieces to, to hear from the people of God because it's very, very different than just hearing it preached about. But when you get into the details of what it looks like, you see something different. So, Daniel has been here for a while, a faithful brother, um, good brother that um, we love. If you don't know him, then you want to get to know him, hit him up afterwards. Um, but my brother, I would love if you would take some time, right? Me and you have talked, and I, I would love if you would take some time to share with us, like, things and ways you've seen the promises of God fulfilled inside of your life and what comes to your heart and your mind when you think about the promises of God. Yeah, I know it's an honor to be here this morning. And uh, as I was praying through this idea of promise and fulfillment, um, there's three short stories just kind of of my own narrative that really came to the forefront. And the first really deals with the fact that uh, we're able to rely on God's promises because he is faithful. He is faithful. And so when I was a young man, I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents loved the Lord, but it preteen years, I just came into some situations and experiences that really pushed me away from God. And I started traveling down a path where eventually, by the time I became a young man, I was in the darkest place of my life, just a season of incredible disobedience, unfaithfulness, uh, pursuing my own desires. And uh, I had lost my scholarship at college. I was forced to move back home so I could continue to go to school. And I was now living in a room that I had to share with my 10-year-old little brother. And every night before I would go to bed, as I was laying there, I'd have these visions of unending darkness, of this blackness, just this void. And I would see myself just falling into this abyss of loneliness and recognizing that that was my destiny apart from God. And the only thing that would allow me to get over the anxiety and the fear of that moment was to pray, to pray to the one I was running from and say, will you give me just 24 more hours of grace? Just one more day. Will you not take my life? Will you continue to put breath in my lungs? Well, one night as I was praying that, I recognized that that void wasn't just something I was falling into myself. It was something I was bringing my younger brother into with me. And I felt like the Lord said, just clear as day, where you go, he will follow. And it wrecked me. 
And I just started weeping in the middle of that room, just crying. And the whole time, not knowing that our other brother, my other younger brother, he had been seeing me fall into this life, and he had been praying for me. Praying that God would grab a hold of my heart. Praying that I would escape just the stupidity that I was walking in at that time. Praying that ultimately I'd come to find my life in the Lord. And within a year, I was able to walk with Christ. It was a long journey, but I got to watch my little brother, the youngest one, step into many of the same mistakes that I made. And it wasn't until this recent season where I think I've really seen the fruition of what I felt was a promise in that moment that God gave nearly 16 years ago, that where you go, he will follow. And for the past six months, for the first time in our adult lives, we find ourselves and our families worshiping together in this community seeing our children experience the Lord, walking with him, learning together, and also seeing the brother who prayed us into that reality, getting to join us in that community as well. And so the promises of God are predicated on his faithfulness. He is good. But the other thing is, as Wayne was saying, he's outside of time, and he's never in a hurry. What he spoke took 16 years, I think, for me to start experiencing the tangible realities of The second thing that really came to mind, you know, is one, that these promises aren't something that are beyond us. They're something he's inviting us into. He's actively asking us to participate with him in the promises. And the way we do that is through trust, through abiding in him. And so when I think of, you know, just the reality that he actually cares about our tangible needs, our day-to-day life, you know, he knows the number of hairs on our head. And he says, seek me first and the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. And so as I was a young man starting to walk with the Lord, I was invited to start working in vocational ministry, and uh, I was working at a church, and we had a team of friends that said, hey, let's go work together in a community. And we started working together in this neighborhood, and um, they said, well, this work is starting to get fruitful. We need somebody to lead it. Will you leave your job at the church where you have guaranteed salary, you have health insurance, you have benefits, all these kinds of things? Will you leave that and give leadership to this and trust us with your finances? So I prayed about it. felt like the Lord was in it, and I said yes. So I left the church, and I took a part-time job working in the middle of the night at UPS. And so we were only making about eight to $10,000 a year. Within six months of me stepping into this role with this community, God pulled all of them away. Just me, my wife, and our young daughter at the time. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Why have you called us to this place? But he's calling us to this place of dependence and faith and trust in him. And he started providing for our needs in just incredible ways. And within three months of us just being in this place, again, me only working this one part-time job, All of a sudden, this man calls me, and he says, hey, I want to partner with you in the work that you're doing in this neighborhood. I want to bring a family to come in with you. He says, come look at this house with me and see if it's something you think would be a good fit for them. So I go look at the house with him, and the second I step into that house, I just felt like the Lord said, this is your home. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be looking for this other family, Lord, so this feels a bit selfish, you know? But I just felt like this is your home. So the guy's asking me, what do you think of this house? great house to raise a family in. I'm thinking it's like a great house to raise my family in, you know? <laughs> so leave that meeting with him, go home, and my wife says to me, the second you left our house, the Lord spoke to me and said, you went to look at our home. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that's something. So I had 
was serving at a neighborhood youth group in our community at that point, and I went and did that, and as I'm walking home from it, I get a call from the guy and goes, hey, that other family backed out, but I just feel like there's something about this house. Do you want it? <laughs> I'm thinking, I should probably pray about this, but I already know the answer, <laughs> you know? So we get it, though, and it's only a block from the house that we're renting doing our community work at the time, and we're seeing realtor after realtor after realtor going to this house, and we put our bid in, and we're thinking, oh, man, we're, we're going to maybe get this, and finally our bid gets accepted after three months of literally watching everybody go there. I'm thinking inside, I could really mess with people, right? Just walk up, you know this neighborhood sucks, right? (laughs) People, they're devious, you know, they break into things, they're liars, you know, I could really take this in my own strength and flesh, but I just felt like the Lord said, trust me, trust me. So three months in, our bid gets accepted, Within 24 hours of us hearing that, the bank gets bought out by another bank. We start the process all over. Four more months of us watching person after person after person come to a house that we heard the Lord say is ours. Until finally, seven months after, we get a call. The keys are ours. It's actually going to be put in our name. We get to live in this home. And the reality is we had $8 in our bank account. $8. And I owed my mother-in-law 12, so (laughs) really, we're we're in the hole. But God cared about our family's tangible needs. He taught us to follow him and said, in following him, he will provide our daily bread. He knew our need for security, for foundation, for a place of hospitality so that we could love those that we were being called to. And he provided. And so this home, even though it's a fixer-upper, it needs all this work It's actually, in a sense, a sacrament. It's a sign of his grace towards that neighborhood that he is faithful. And that brings me to the third part, the third story, which is that for us to walk in his promises and to experience the fulfillment, he has to make us the kind of people who can receive them. You know, we live in a world of so many meta-narratives, right? So many things, ideals, and things that we should be working towards in terms of championing what is life and what is it to live in it abundantly. But we also know Jesus modeled a specific way of life and a way of being. But it's a confession for me, even though I was working in vocational ministry, I also got caught up in that other narrative, thinking that the abundant life would be found in titles and influence and popularity and making it and arriving. And so when opportunities provided themselves, one specifically to get to go to seminary, I got scholarship that was brought in. And I thought at first, I'm just here to try to make it, just to prove that I belong in this community. Very quickly, I found out it was a place where I was getting a lot of affirmation. Grades reinforce you every single moment. They tell you whether you're making it or you're not. And I got caught up in that, and I got really good at it. And I ended up graduating at the top of my class, and I was working with one of the top professors, you know, in the country and getting to be his assistant and sit in his home, do projects with him. I was getting invited into denominational meetings with the community I was a part of, you know, getting into executive level leadership and going to national discussions and these kinds of things. And I'm thinking, I made it. Yet inside, I wasn't experiencing the abundance that Christ promised to bring. Inside, I was insecure. Inside, I was a wreck. I was not filled with peace. I was competing. I was being competed against. And it just wasn't the fullness of what he came to offer. And at the height of it, I actually was hospitalized and on death's door because my body was shutting down. It took me getting wrecked to realize that the abundant life is not found in titles, 
It's not found in notoriety. It's not found in popularity. It's found in humility. It's found in sacrificial love. It's found in generosity. And so God stripped me away from that entire realm, and he put me in a credit recovery charter school teaching algebra. And I was sitting in this room thinking, I went from top of my class to teaching algebra, for the most part, to students who don't want to learn it. What the heck are you doing, God? And it was in that moment that I feel like I finally came to realize the fulfillment of that promise of what abundant life is. He said, look at every single one of these students. They're worth every paper you wrote. They're worth every study you did. They're worth every verb you parsed because I love them. And if you understand that, you'll know that I love you. So fast forward three years later, I'm sitting in a ministry meeting with all these international workers. They're telling all these amazing things. And I go, I teach algebra. And I've never been happier because God is with me. And he loves me and he cares about me. And I think the fulfillment of his abundant life is known in the word Sabbath. We no longer have to strive. We no longer have to work. We get to rest in who he is, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Man, Daniel, um, I'm so thankful for you to take the time to, to share that story, to open up to us like this is what it looked like for me. Preaching it out, that's the high moment and stuff. But what it looks like when the walking out process is happening, a lot of times people want to give up. It looks like sometimes it's taking 16 years for a promise that God would give to, to come into, into light or even more than that. It looks like... Um, a baby being born <laughs> looks in so many ways that don't look pretty. Um, it's not just right there the way you want it to happen. It, it looks different. And hearing this is so encouraging when we think about you hearing God speak through these tough times and him teaching how to trust him along the way. Listen, I hope today is to encourage you in trusting God, knowing where his promises come from, knowing that what it looks like to live into this thing may not be what you expect, but his word is still real and his promises come from a place of fulfillment. Even as we go into this time of communion, it's set on his promise that one day we will fellowship with him in eternity, forever. And those that are eating of the bread that represents his body and drinking of the juice that represents his blood, they're his family, they're his friends, his brothers and his sisters. He is their king, and we fellowship throughout time. This morning, as you come to break of the bread and drink of the juice, I, I ask you to reflect on this promise or probably you're saying, I want to know the God of this promise. A couple of us will be over here praying for you and stop over here pray if you need prayer for whatever. But I'm going to ask Daniel if you'll pray for us and after he prays for us, the table will be open. So Daniel, 
Well, Father, what a gift it is to be able to come to you as your children. We thank you for the faithfulness of your love that you expressed to us in Christ. And we just pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see you in the fullness of who you are, to see you for what you've done, to see you for what you're going to do, and to see you for what you're doing in this time and space right here and now. Give us the grace, Lord, to know you more abundantly, to walk with you more fully, and to not wait until we get to heaven to experience the fullness of your love. Lord, may you make us a people that walk with you, abide in you, and reveal the goodness of your promises as you manifest them in our lives. And so, Lord, we come before you, and we bless you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.